I'm Georgie Griffiths and welcome to our Take 10 with Colliers podcast. Today we're being joined by Walter Betcher, who is part of our research and economic forecasting team. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Walter. So obviously 2020 has been an exceptional year, um, but I guess it'd be good to start with maybe what your top predictions are for 2021. Well, it's all going to be good, doesn't it? You know, can't be much worse than 2020, I suppose. I think probably if uh, you looked at all the forecasting houses and all the technical experts and analysts and all the rest, I would probably set myself apart in the sense that I think there's just the chance that uh, that recovery in 2021 could come a little bit faster and be a little bit stronger than uh, a lot uh, expect. Uh, I think a lot of it pretty much hinges on just getting the confidence back in the market. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot of indicators suggesting that uh, the rebound could be fast. Probably uh, the one that I talked about the other day that I think is really, really quite compelling is the phenomenal amount of household savings that has accumulated over the course of, um, uh, of 2020. Nobody has been, out, been able to go out and spend money. And so there's over 100 billion sitting in people's bank accounts uh, that could theoretically be spent. And the indications in early December are that people are starting to spend it. Now, if this carries on into Q1, then perhaps uh, we have a, a little bit of a stronger rebound than people expect. I think I'd probably be kind of alone in the market to really push that point uh, forward, except to say that the Bank of England seems to have picked up on that 100 billion pound figure uh, uh, the other day. I was a bit surprised. I think uh, Oliver and I kind of beat it to market by at least three weeks, which is a bit, uh, well, that's pretty good going for any sort of research team, I can tell you. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, and what sector do you think will see thrive, um, or what do you think? Which sector do you think will be a standout for next year? Ah, oh, this has got to be uh, mixed-use residential, no question about it. You know, and I, I think because of all the uh, transfor transformational changes and structural changes that we're seeing, you know, particularly between retail and industrial, but even now with COVID coming in, and uh, I saw a survey the other day suggesting that. Um, um, before the pandemic, only around 20% of uh, commercial real estate agents split their time between working time between home and work. After the uh, uh, pandemic, it looks as though that figure is going to rise around 60%. So the uh, the need for I guess live work units, if you want to call it that, in a in a wider sense, or mixed use residential, I think is really going to grow. Also, given the ongoing housing shortage, I just think that there's a uh, you know, a great impetus behind that. And oh, by the way, when you look at residential, the returns are okay and the volatility is almost nil. It's got to be one of the most stable investments going. So any sort of mixed use scheme, and dare we say we even integrate some retail in, uh, you can moderate the risk, I think, by including a, a residential component. So I, I think that's uh, be a lot, of, a lot of investors are going to be interested in this. COVID aside, what factors do you think will have the biggest impact on, you know, the real estate sector next year? Yeah, so we put COVID aside. Let's assume that one's done and dusted. Not quite there, but we're almost. And then, of course, we had Brexit to get through. Uh, and I think all we really need is a certainty one way or the other, rather than any great solution. Although anything that results in something less than acrimonious with the uh, EU has got to be a good thing. And I think that'll put us in an okay position. But to answer your question, I think uh, ongoing low interest rates and uh, demographic aging, <clears throat> I think, are the probably the two key drivers, the two are related, you know, because globally the world, the world population is aging and there's a lot of money going into uh, pension funds. Uh, hence there's a huge demand uh, for uh, investment and return 
right? And in this super low interest rate environment, a lot of people are looking at real estate just because there's just that much more bit of yield. Um, and I guess if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that we need to be prepared for the unexpected. Um, what do you think we should sort of be preparing for in 2021? Obviously, you mentioned Brexit. Um, is there anything else that you think could crop up and surprise us? How about this? It sounds like a mouthful. Geopolitically induced inward safe haven investment flows. So the UK has never really lost that safe haven status, which I always found quite uh, remarkable, given that a lot of the instability that we have uh, in the markets was induced by the UK itself. You know? And so, but I do think that the, um, some of the transformations that are happening in terms of East-West relations, uh, and I think that the EU is gonna see some uh, tough times over the course of the next uh, year or two, as they try to sort out some of their own internal difficulties and the rest. Uh, just suggest to me that if the UK can offer something a little bit more stable than what we already have, i.e. Uh, some sort of understanding, at least, on Brexit, um, uh, coupled with just um, a general restoration of the UK to where it sort of fits in the global economic hierarchy, then I, I think that it's going to offer great pickings for people that are looking for safe places to invest money. And so I think there's a, a lot of scope for that to increase really quite substantially. So I'd say to all the investment agents, Georgie, uh, to pay attention because uh, the, the money could start rolling in. Well, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, okay, and obviously you're, um, you know, you've got a role in research and forecasting. What would you um, recommend or what advice would you give to someone looking to go into a similar role? Well, talk to me because we need a few people, quite frankly. <clears throat> the frustration with, re with research and forecasting is, first of all, uh, you will never find the answers ever because by the time you've done the research and put it to paper, the questions will have changed fundamentally. <laughs> so it's a bit like, uh, uh, it's the kind of thing where you're just running to uh, keep up with yourself in an odd kind of way. Forecasting, I used to do that at a, at a technical level some years ago. Uh, Oliver uh, Kalazaki, of course, has taken over that particular role. I just, uh, less and less are the metrics that are important. I think it's a bit more trying to interpret general trends uh, and ideas going forward. And I think that's probably where the interesting bit of research uh, possibly is. But I recommend it to anybody. It's, um, I'm, I've, got, I've got a really privileged role here. I can just wander around with a cup of coffee and chat with people. And that's part of my job description, you know. Bad news is I actually have to read the newspapers, which uh, pretty uh, full-time job too. And also trying to interpret all the stuff that you read there as poorly conceived as a lot of it is. Uh, is actually really quite challenging. But but listen, bring it on. You got notice that you know anybody wants to come into research, just send them my way, please. Yeah, I guess it's definitely been a challenging year trying to keep up with everything that's been going on. Okay, we're coming towards the end of our episode. So if it's okay with you, we'll end on a couple of quick fire questions. Um, so first one, if you could invite three people to a dinner party, who would they be? Uh, Hugh Edwards uh, from the BBC News, Michael Heseltine, because he reminds me of my dad. And Ralph Stedman, because uh, he's a bit like me. He was sort of like uh, out of sight a bit, but uh, spent a lot of time dealing with some pretty interesting people. But of course, I thought to myself now, hmm, there's, uh, these are all blokes, you know, you got to get a woman in there. So I was thinking Joanna Lumley, just because I find her charming and she's actually well-traveled and an interesting, approachable type person. What, what set you on the road to success? Lateral thinking, no question about it. I've had a, a really wide piece of experience and I didn't listen, I didn't launch my career too quickly. I, I, I dabbled in, um, in a lot of things. I worked on the offshore rigs, slinging chains and all this stuff and worked in the control tower. 
uh, operating barges and uh, heavy equipment for a while just to put a bit of money in the bank. Uh, I'd hoped to put enough money in the bank to buy a nightclub in Austin. That was the original plan way back when. Oh, wow. So I did. I flirted with the rock and roll industry. I worked as a lighting designer uh, with uh, sound production, sound and lighting production company that I'd worked in for a while. I met a lot of really interesting people there, a lot of household names, as a matter of fact. Actually, one of them, a guy named Jerry Jeff Walker, who wrote Mr. Bojangles, just died about a month ago. He was somebody we used to do a lot of shows with and all the rest. Uh, I worked in uh, government planning. I've done uh, hydrological design. Uh, I've uh, worked in a database marketing company. I flirted with an academic career before I sort of settled into uh, uh, commercial property a bit late in the game. But that wide range of experience is so useful. I can do a presentation to just about anybody uh, and a crowd of 100 people. And I usually can relate to whatever the crowd happens to be and respond to questions in a way that draws from this sort of wide experience. If you stay too focused on one thing, I think you, uh, you probably uh, kind of lose the plot to a certain degree. The other thing I do too, is I try not to read too much of our competitors' research because it ends up influencing your own thinking. So I'd say lateral thinking drawn on a wide space as you could possibly put together of uh, experience and uh, basically doing your own thing. Um, and then final one, if that's okay, um, is there anyone in particular that you admire in either the business world or just generally? There's no one person that, that I'd have to say that I admire. I would say that I admire anybody who is committed to the job that they're doing. They take their job seriously and they work really hard to uh, push whatever agenda is they're meant to be working forward. You know, as a matter of fact, I've, I've got time for anybody who tries and uh, even if they get it wrong, or, uh, or you think, well, that could have been done a little bit differently, perhaps, or something of that sort. I still have admiration for anybody that really gives it a good go. I, I think uh, commitment is the main thing I look for in pretty much anybody. And uh, listen, one of the things I like about Colliers is that everybody's pretty well committed, which is um, really, really pretty refreshing. It's not, that, it's not that way everywhere. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us today. So you can listen to more episodes of Take 10 with Colliers on all of the usual places, um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to find out who we'll be talking to next, please check out our LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram.